so yeah, this is, uh, this is simple church for a couple of weeks. Church. Simple church. And really, there's nothing much that's needed for church to be church. You need people to gather, you need to celebrate Christ, you need to read the word, and you sing, you share. Those things are all kind of the facets of it. But we're just here to worship. And I had a great conversation last night um, with some folks who were just thinking about what it feels like to worship and what that really means. There's this phrase that Michelle and I, and this is a total tangent, nothing to do with the sermon today, but um, there's a phrase that Michelle and I were introduced to a couple of years ago that's, um, you know, the uh, ecclesia is the church, is the Greek word for it, so they, they came up with this phrase called the ecclesial, meaning the church, minimum. What's the minimum you would need for it to actually be church? People, right? Probably more than one, because church means assembly. So you can be a believer, you can worship on your own. It's not just words. What is church? What's the bare minimum? So we we'll get some people together. Can you add to that? Two, maybe three. Two, maybe three. Yeah, two is a church. I don't think that way. We're very Americanized. But church has always been small gatherings of people throughout history. Historically, church is small. It has always been small. So there are large expressions of it, but they're the exception to the rule. All right, so what else would you say we would need to have for it to really be church? Acts 2.42. All right. So it's prayer, breaking of bread, teaching. Yeah, teaching the apostles. I forget. Koinonia. <laughs> Koinonia. Oh. Fellowship. <laughs> That's one of those great definitions. You have to bond together. You're not a... I don't know. It's not a business arrangement. It's koinonia. It's family. It's people. Um, they put in communion, put in scripture, put in prayer. That's probably it. Um, the one thing that uh, Acts 2.42 doesn't say in that verse, but they did immediately after, is they went out and distributed food to people who had needs. So I think if you're the church, you have some love for your neighbors. That's probably a minimum. Because that's kind of what frustrates us sometimes. We feel like we're doing church, but it's not helping anyone except us, well then it doesn't feel like fully church. So probably some kind of mission, outreach, evangelism, love, love God, love your neighbor, something like that. Uh, so we're going to get to experience what it's like to simplify some of the things that we're normally used to and realize, oh, it's just still church. <laughs> it's still all the good stuff. It's still the Holy Spirit speaking to us and it's still the word of God. So with that being said, I can't project the sermon title on the back wall, so I will give it to you if you were taking notes. The, this is the last of our experimental type sermons. Uh, the upcoming month will be one of different kinds of sermons and preparation as we're prayerfully hoping by the end of May to be in time. So this is the last maybe like three or four Sundays here in this physical building. And this is the last of the series that I started on the first Sunday in January on being experimental, really practicing our faith. But the title for this morning is The Matthew Experiment. And this one, I hope, actually will have legs. It will be continuing to be something I talk about, something I encourage you to do things with, to work on, to expand throughout the rest of this year, actually, through the end of the calendar year. I'm going to continue to push this thought. So this is kind of the bookend to this Time of preparation for us, God getting us ready for our new place. Um, it has to do with the Word of God and specifically the Gospel of Matthew. All right, so let me say a word of prayer. Let me focus myself and my thoughts and us and our thoughts, and then let's let's dig into the Word of God together. Please pray with me. 
Father God, you speak words and then things come into being. I pray that you would speak words of life into each of us this morning. They would not just be words we read on a page, but it would be living words spoken that make us come alive, that heal us, that set us free, that give us peace, that correct us. Your words, Father, your word, your son, the word, the word that comes through your spirit, the written word. We need you, Father, to speak to us. We don't need me to speak to us. We need you to speak to us. And so we ask for you to speak words of truth and of love, of direction and correction, of encouragement to each one of us that we might receive those words. Please give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Allow us to be receptive. Make us the fertile soil, not the hardened one so that these words could be embedded in us. So Father, we just ask that you do what you've always done. Be consistent with your nature and your desire to reveal yourself, to speak, and then give us the ability to be speakers of your word, to transmit, to relay, to communicate, to share, to spread, to plant, to broadcast your word and your words in the same way that you do to us. So please also give us fertile soil around us to plant the seeds of your word. And we know that you will do it. This is your will, Father. And so we look forward to what you will say to us this morning and how you will use us in this uh, experiment with Matthew uh, in the, the days and months ahead. We pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I would like to read together a couple of scriptures to help us recognize what this word of God means to us. And then I want to read a couple of scriptures about what it means to the people around us. So if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and read with me. After this, we're going to flip over to James chapter 1 and read something there. <clears throat> the, the statement that I want to start with, the thought is... What it means to be a Christian is that you have accepted, you have received the word of God into you. That's what it means to be saved. The definition of being saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, take in what he says, and accept it. This is different than just hearing what has been said, and this is the unfortunate reality in churches many times we hear, we're not really accepting and receiving and taking something in. There's an embedding that has to happen with the Word of God that will be what transforms us. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not just, oh, I heard something, it was kind of cool. It's like, oh, something happened to the way I think now. I don't think the same way anymore. Transformed in our affections. These things that used to drive me and motivate, they just kind of don't matter to me as much anymore because the Word of God got into us. It's got to get into us, church. And I think this is the definition of what it means to be a Christian. So if there are those of us, or we come to moments in our life, like, I'm not sure that I've taken in the Word of God. I think I've listened to it. But that's, that's a moment of, of salvation. That's a moment of conviction. That's a moment where we could be transformed from the inside out. So that's why I have these two scriptures I want to read, because I actually feel like the thing we're going to talk about today, if we don't have it, we're not saved. It's that fundamental, but it's a great way to think about it, this planting of the word of God within us, like a seed. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
in verse 22. It starts by talking about love. This is what the gospel is all based on. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, there's that born again phrase. It's not really used that much in the Bible. It's in John chapter 3. It's here. It's kind of this uh, very coarse statement Christians use, but it's not used a lot. It is used here to describe how we're born again. This is how it works. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, permanent seed, through the living and abiding word of God. For all of flesh, our bodies, this temporary life, is like grass. And all of its glory, it's like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So pursue this kind of love out of obedience. How do you come to obey something? Well, then you had to hear it. The love that we have is spoken to us but it is making us be born again through a seed, a kernel, a thought. This happens, the devil uses this in the opposite way also, where the kernel of a negative thought, a doubt, a fear gets in, and it spreads roots. The next thing we know, it's like consuming our thoughts. The opposite positive version of this is the word of God. This is different than just like an encouraging friend. Hey, I've got you, brother, I'm here for you. The word, the truth of God, when it gets to us, if we'll let it transform us, it will put down roots and start to take over how we think and how we feel. It works just like a seed. It's got to get planted. So I would encourage each of us, and I can even do this here with us in this little like moment of reflection, think about the first things that we heard about God, the first truths, the first Bible verses maybe we were taught as a child the first church service we went to, those were the first seeds that were planted in us, and they just continued to grow to bring us to where we are today. You're not saved by a church, if I can put it bluntly. You're not saved by a person. You're not saved by a theology or a theological camp. You're not even saved by a revival meeting or by an altar call. That's not what does the saving. What does the saving is the word of God. And somehow it got into you. It could have been a radio. It could have been a TV. It could have been in person. It could have been, but it got to you. Some of the most famous Christians that had most impact in the world have stories like I was walking down the road and there was a meeting in this room. And I just, I just walked in and I heard Romans, you know, and they just said something and it struck me to the heart. And their lives were never the same. And they went to, you know, create missions agencies and found denominations and bring people to the Lord. It took the word of God. They didn't walk in and be like, there was a really nice group of people I felt loved. That's the fruit of the thing. But the thing is the seed and the seed is the word. So we have to know who we are. We are people of the word. The word has transformed us. The word will continue to transform us. And if we get sloppy or lazy or stay immature in our understanding of the word, that all of our fruit will be minimal, <laughs> uh, temporary, and quickly fading. But the more we get the word in us, the more we're going to look like the word of God, the living and abiding word of God. And the words then that we speak will be like, where'd that come from? And I hope you've all had that experience. You spoke a word to someone and it changed how they thought. You were blessed in that moment to speak a word from the Lord. 
We need that. We continually need that. All right, so here's Peter. So now we move back to uh, James. So Peter, James, John, flip in your Bibles to James chapter 1. This one goes a little bit, um, I think it's all, I'm messing myself up here. How am I drawing a blank? I can't. James P. Why can't I find the book of James? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Sometimes you just draw a blank. It just happens. All right, good. Good, yeah, this one goes straight to the heart of it, too. And actually, it just precedes what we're going to read, precedes the very famous thing, don't be hearers of the word only, but doers, so sort of like what we're supposed to do with it. But the key part is right before that, James 1, 21. All right, let's read it together. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all the filthiness, kind of like the grime that gets us on us in life, and put away the rampant wickedness, which is just so active around us, it's swirling like a dust cloud. Just put that stuff away, shove it away, and receive with meekness, with gentleness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's what does it. If you've never been quite clear, it's not even the, the simple profession of faith. I believe in you, Lord Jesus, please save my soul. That's the declaration. It comes after just receive the word. And in a way, you're going to see where I'm going. We're all oh, this. Maybe this feels repetitive to you. Maybe it feels simple. But this is actually the only thing. This is the only thing. Ecclesial minimum. Faith minimum. The word and then the spoken, the words of God. That's what does it. That's who we are. We're people of the word. That's how I'm always going to want to preach, that we become more and more people of the word so that we can receive it, so it changes us. But then you, every single one of you and me, have a responsibility to speak that word out and cast that seed out because that's what's going to do it for anyone else too. Do you see where I'm going with this? We cannot just be a people as we're preparing these experimental sermons to get to Taunton so that if we're loving enough when people come and join us, that they will feel welcomed. You can be loved and welcomed in places that have nothing to do with Christ and will have no benefit on your eternal life. It's not about just loving atmosphere. That's the fruit that comes from the people of the word because when we abide in God's word, we love each other from the abundance of love that's in us. So love will happen. It's not just about being welcoming and being accepting. It's about being like Christ who was welcoming and accepting because he was the word of God. We have to be ready to spill this word everywhere. And I don't even want us to start and to wait until we get to Taunton. I want us today, this morning, to start thinking about how do I speak the words of God? This answers every like evangelical kind of question. How do I like tell people about Jesus? Read the word of God together. Isn't that where you found your most spiritual growth? You sat in a Bible study. You were over someone's kitchen table. You were at a church. We just read the word of God. And then he spoke to you. Not the pastor. Not the Bible study leader. Not the peer. Jesus spoke to you, and the word came alive, the living word of God. The word of God is living, and it's active, and it, it pierces us to our heart. We have to speak the word of God to the people around us. So we don't need a big program for that. 
You just need to have a Bible. You don't need to have the answers to everyone's questions. It's not about us being Bible answer man, Bible answer woman. Do we have the word? And can we share the word with people both when we're together and on your own? Yep, you have a family member that you want to talk about faith. Don't worry about coming up with a clever answer or a thing. Just ask them, will you read the Bible with me? Because the word of God is what's going to be the seed, not you. The only thing that we have going for us is we have the seed planted in us. But don't forget that it was the seed that gave us the faith to give a profession and to submit, which then gave us the eternal life. So if you back up, it's the word of God. God speaks things into life. It's how he made creation. It's how he speaks us into life. So we don't have to get in the way of the process. I've been talking a long time, for two years now, about like how do we do discipleship as a church body in this new era that God's leading us into? To sum up everything I'm about to say, we're about to talk. I want every single one of us to be willing to read the Bible with someone. And that's it. Period. That's discipleship. The Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. How? Baptize them. Okay, that's how we start. And then what? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So you can either memorize all of the Gospels and then just quote them. That's hard. I don't have time for that or brain space for that. I don't know if you do. Or you could just open them and read it. But how are you going to teach them to obey everything if they don't know the everything? And if we're trying to absorb it all to know how all then is it we that really who have everything? No, just Jesus. So this is my kernel of discipleship, the core of what I believe it to be. And this is what I want us all to be ready for. So there may be a coming week in the next few months or there and someone comes in and is like, tell me more. I'm going to find one of you. And be like, would you be willing to meet this person and read with them from the Gospel of Matthew? Because that's all they need. They don't need to make sure they come to enough sermons so they can hear what Pastor Dave thinks about things. They need to get someplace on Sunday because that's when God shows up once a week for a couple hours in the morning. And they don't need us to be smart. And they don't need us to be extroverted. They just need to read the word of God and someone to read it with them. Jesus said this too. Anyone who hears my words and obeys them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. But he who hears my words and does not obey them is like a man who builds his house on the sand. The storm is coming either way. We're going to live through the storm. Period. Do you want to be standing at the other end of it? Well, it's going to be then the words of Jesus that got you through. Who hears my words and obeys them. So it's just all about speaking his words and repeating them. And it never gets old because we always forget. So just say them again. I used to preach the same sermon every Sunday. We'd be fine. We'd go, all right, all right. It's been six days. I forgot everything already. Okay, and then we'd just get back. Get back. Get back to the simple stuff. Simple is perfect. Simple is what it's about. And I want us to embrace that, to recognize it's been the word that has saved us. And it will be the word that helps save anyone. And we are deliberately moving to a place to pray that we will encounter people that are looking for God. What are we going to give them? Couches? Nice ambiance in a beautiful old reclaimed building? I hope not. You can get that in other coffee shops. We are going to give them the word and the words of God. Introduce them to Christ, the word of God. Expect them and anticipate that they will then draw upon the spirit to speak a word from God into them on an ongoing, living act. That's faith. That's it. It's the word. So know who you are, people. Know who we are. If you're another church, you might say our, our, our passion, our spiritual gifting is uh, foreign missions. We might say that it's 
uh, street evangelism, might pick something. We have always just been students of the word. That's what God has given us as our DNA. That's what I believe is most important. That's what I've grown up in, being like cutting my teeth on. That was what I was fed as a spiritual child growing up. That's what I believe in. So that's who we are. So that means each of you have to be people of the word. It doesn't mean you need to know it all. It doesn't mean I spend three hours a day studying the scriptures and the original Greek. Nope, but you can. That's awesome. It just means you believe in it and you love it. And when someone asks you what you know, you're like, have a seat. <laughs> this, this is what we know. So everything else is like complicated and confusing. Life is complicated and confusing. And if we don't just base our lives on the word, then we're going to be confused. We're going to be aimless. We're going to be just as lost as anybody else. So just know who you are, church. Know who we are. This is all that matters. So back up to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read one little moment in Luke chapter 24. We're going to read one little moment in Acts chapter 8. And then we're going to get uh, back to Timothy and see some advice on this. Luke 24. Let's see if I can find Luke this morning. <laughs> it's in the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Luke. And sometimes the brain just doesn't work. Just roll with it. Luke 24. I've said this before, but this is my favorite story uh, after the resurrection. Probably because of this love I have for the word of God. And, and Jesus speaks the word and the word opens their eyes and the communion helps them see him. It's beautiful. But recognize when Jesus appears to these two disciples, he just speaks the word of God to them. He just explains the biblical story of redemption. He just reads it. But Jesus knows it by heart. He didn't have to open any pages. He is the story. So in Luke 24, think about this and think about ourselves discussing the story of God in public. So that very day, following the resurrection, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had just happened. Now while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I, I, as an aside, I, I promise you, if you meet to discuss the Lord, Jesus will join you there. I felt it. I've been in these times where he's talking. It feels like there's this presence of Jesus. That's where he abides in those moments. He loves to join you. I hope you felt that. Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, so he goes back, it's a big Bible study, goes back to Moses and then all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. It's towards evening. The day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and, and then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he spoke with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The implanting of the seed was happening. A Bible, personal Bible study with Jesus on a walk down the road. And they felt it. Hearts were burning within us. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. So the words of God just like, Cut them to the heart, but it was in the celebrating of communion, the breaking of bread, their eyes were open. So ecclesial minimum, right? Church, scripture, communion, not dispensable components. But this setting isn't a church setting. These are two people walking, but two is church. Two is church. So it was full church. Two dudes, Jesus, Bible, bread. Church. We need to expand our definition and our concept of what church is so that we can have moments like this. Part of my challenge to you is that in ones and twos and threes, you would go and discuss Jesus with each other publicly. Go to the coffee shop and open the Bible and talk about Jesus together publicly so that Jesus might meet with you but that others might say, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, haven't you heard? So that the word of God might be spread as seeds. We have a building here, and it houses us. We'll have a building there, but I don't want us to hide in that building. Perfectly happy if all the things we do are outside of that building as well. But there must be public reading of God's word. It doesn't have to be evangelistic in, like, point. You're not just like... <clears throat> John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. What do you think about that, Ellen? Do you, do you love that also? Don't do that. Just sit with Ellen and have a coffee or a nice tea and be like, let's read this together. Isn't it beautiful? And then however God wants to bring you into contact with the public, he will do so in his time. Walking along or go for a walk. And on your walk, discuss the things of Jesus. Isn't it amazing? that that tomb was empty. Talk about your favorite Bible verse, this truth that God has spoken to me, which got embedded somewhere along the way, and it's just, I'm never going to be the same. Those things. That's one way that we scatter seeds. It's not 
overtly evangelistic. It's just living your faith in public together. So whatever Bible studies we have, whatever small groups we have, whatever missional communities we have, whatever, think of a way that part of our time together could be visible. It's a way that Jesus used in this instance to spread the seed of his word and change their lives. And even if we just were transformed by that, that's enough. It's not how many people you can get converted. It's about us being truly converted. We need it. So just spend time together in the word so that we become who we're supposed to, and it will absolutely have impact on people around us. But seek the word for ourselves, but in public. All right, I said Acts chapter 8 is the next one. I wasn't lying. Let's flip over. Read that with me. Eight twenty-six, Acts chapter eight, twenty-six. We're gonna have one more story after this, and then uh, we'll tie it all together with a challenge for each of us. Acts eight, verse twenty-six. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. So there's already good communication between God and this man. He's listening. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading aloud Isaiah, the prophet. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Then the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is another version of spreading the word of God. He opened his mouth and he spoke the story of Jesus. But he was listening to the people around him that had questions. This is a critical thing we need to do. Everyone around us has questions of some sort. What are they asking? Are we listening? Are we hoping that we could find some question that, that we know there's something that the Bible says about that to be able to offer something to someone who is looking for answers? Sometimes we're so aggressive to try to beat down the doors of the people that we think need the Bible, we're missing the quiet people who are around us who are just looking already. 
and would simply love to have someone provide them with an answer, any answer, for them to try, for them to think about. Something beyond their own confusion. The Word of God is that. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It illuminates. It clarifies. It makes sense of things. So in this case, Philip was just listening to the Spirit. And so he knew where to be. So pay attention to when you feel those urges. I think I should go here. I think I should do that. And then when you're in places, have your ears open. Like this good Samaritan. Don't be so busy about where we're trying to get that we're not stopping to actually listen to the people around us. This may be our children or our young adults living in our homes. Like we're around them. We're trying to get things done, trying to make a meal, trying to get to work. But what are the questions that are like bouncing around us? When are those moments where you could say, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand the answer to that question? And if they say, how can I? then read some of the Word of God, which could help them. We don't need to have the answers. The Word of God is the truth. The Word of God is what saves. The Word of God is what makes us be born again. So in this instance, this example, is just being out in public with our ears open. First example of how it spread is Christians gathering together to be Christians in public. The second example is just being on your own, but have your ears open. And that takes us to the third one. So now we're back to Timothy. Um, First Timothy is where we're going to start. And um, First Timothy 4, 11 is where we're going to read. Paul gives advice. we we'll read one little clip from First Timothy. And then his second letter, Second Timothy, has kind of like the final statement on it. And these are the last couple of scriptures that we're going to read together about this. I hope you're absorbing what I'm saying. I hope you're seeing what I'm saying. I hope it's clarifying for you like what, who you are, who I am, who, who we need to be, what our calling is. It's to be people of the word and to speak the word to other people. What's our model? People helping people. So we're like people of the word who help people become people of the word so that they can make others wordy people too or something. There's a version. We'll come up with it. Mine needs a little work, a little workshopping there. It's not quite right, but uh, that's who we need to be. That's our identity. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. gives this advice to his protege, this young Christian. And everyone's a minister of Christ, so this applies to all of us. (coughs) Command and teach these things, all the things that he said up to this point. And let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, what we do, in love, how we care about each other, in faith, how we hang in there together, In purity, how we kick off all the dirt of the world, strive for Christ. doesn't matter if you're young and old. Set an example in these things, he's saying. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Until I come back to you, Paul is saying, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. I'd love to send you out. Until I see you again, Lord willing, a week from now, and then Lord willing, another Sunday after that, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Because that's who we are. And that's what will make a difference in the world. To exhortations. That's like challenging people to do something about it. Uh, To teaching. Just explaining it. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. 
Practice these things. Experiment. Our whole months of this. Experiment. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. This means we'll be worse. Well, we'll start off bad. Then we'll just be like less bad, less bad, average, a little bit good, kind of good, maybe very good, right? Devote yourself to progress. Be bad at things at first. And then be less bad at them over time. Awesome. Spiritual growth right there. Jesus is the one who's going to do things. We just devote ourselves to the experimental spiritual growth process. And he says in the last verse there, 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, you know, what you say. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So you see what's going on here? I mean, it feels a little bit, this is why we need to read from 2 Timothy also. So it sort of feels like we're just talking to a pastor here. So be a teacher, be a preacher, devote yourself to this sort of thing. We're going to see when we read the next segment that he says, this is your work as an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who spreads the good news. So Paul's not talking only about the Christian circle. He's talking about a way of life. Timothy is not supposed to, and I myself, if I'm a teacher by calling or by role within the body, I'm supposed to devote myself to the teaching, not just for you, not just to you. It would be restricted, restrictive of me. It would be me falling short if I only preach the good news to us. It's supposed to be public as well, which is why I'm so excited to be in a more public venue on a more regular basis, because it's going to give me more opportunities than just with Christians to still talk about the same sorts of things, but with other people. I hope you feel that that's exciting too, if daunting. I'm daunted, but excited also, but I know it's going to be good, and I know it's what we're called to. So read the part from 2 Timothy where he gives the rest of his advice. So flip just a few pages further, and it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1. And this is a charge. And that's why we end with this before I have a charge that I want to commission us with as well. So Paul, to his charge, his spiritual mentee, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preachers means proclaim. We've made that a churchy word. It didn't start out that way. It just means like, get it out. Shout it out. Proclaim. Proclaim the word. This is who we are, people. People of the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So be ready when you're like, all right, I'm going to go to this place, do this thing. But also like spur of the moment, you know, waking up, like where you're not expected. Be ready then too to preach the word, in season and out of season, when you're ready, when you're not, when you feel good, when you don't, when you're succeeding, when you're failing. It's not about us, it's the word. Preach it. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with patience and teaching. So like speak all the things. Someone needs a boost, someone needs a kick in the pants, someone needs encouragement, someone needs hope, someone needs chastisement. Like this is truth. We encounter it ourselves so many different ways. Just speak it. Get it out there. Plant those seeds. And he says in verse 3, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They want nothing to do with actual truth in God's word. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll just find someone who says stuff they like, and that will become their favorite person to listen to. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and then wander off into myths. So become lost. It's like lost sheep. Right? As for you, always be sober-minded. So like, think about this clearly. Uh, endure suffering. Push through when it's hard. 
Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So there it is. Fulfill your ministry to spread the gospel, not just to cater the gospel to the believers that you find yourselves around. And so if this is his commission, and this is how we were saved, and this is how anybody is ever going to be saved, then I charge you, New Hope, as the body of Christ that God has collected together, to let the word get embedded in you, to discuss it together, both privately and publicly, but to look for ways that we can discuss Jesus in the open. We live in a wonderful country. We're not going to be arrested. You might have someone look at you weird. You might have someone make a comment, but that's probably the extent that it'll ever get to. So that's the trade-off for someone possibly overhearing something and that be the right word that planted the right seed and their soul is saved. By so doing, you may save both yourselves and your hearers. Who are your hearers? This is so convicting to me because if I ask who is hearing me speak the word of God, I'd, I'd go to my family in my home, I'd go to church, and they'd be like, what next? It, it, there's got to be more than that. And this is the direction God's leading us, so we need to be prepared for this, to speak the word. And that brings us to a little gift that I have for everyone this morning. So I need two more people besides myself to come help me pass something out. I've got a Brendan, I've got a Jim. All right, great. Give one to every person. One to every person. And I'll do the same. We have enough. Maybe you guys might actually have it. I can't wait to see if it There are more up here. Um, if you have a, a spouse or a friend or someone that you think needs a copy, feel free to grab another. We actually have a whole box of them up here. Everybody got one, so we're all looking at the same thing together. All right, good. Like I said, feel free to grab another one later on. They're up here, they're in the box, they're there. Gospel according to Matthew. This is a pocket-sized gospel. You've probably seen them in the Gospel of John. That's the most common a gospel that's replicated for giving out or for reading from or for you know sticking in your pocket or your purse. I've been feeling for us as a church, and for me personally, I would really love for Matthew specifically to be our launch point for people. And it's because there's actually things in Matthew that are unique to all the Gospels that really are important for people if they're learning about Jesus the first time to know. So I have nothing against the Gospel of John if you have some of those that you'd like to use or give out or whatever. This is not actually a track to give out. I'll explain more as we go. This is for you to keep. You can put your name in the front of this. This is for you to read with other people or to read in public. It's an opportunity to do the public reading of God's word. A coworker at lunch, someone at a coffee shop, two of us sitting down at a table somewhere. This is to be read aloud together in public as the seed of the word of God. Some of the things that are unique in Matthew uh, the genealogy starts it off. It's a unique genealogy, and it specifically points out the women, like Rahab the prostitute, and, and these women that were influential in bringing the Christ. This is very countercultural to the Jewish system that Jesus grew up in. It's very good in our day and age, where there's all these like role and gender confusion and and masculine and feminine like combating. And, and Matthew does a wonderful job of celebrating the women in Jesus' life and showing how he loved them and was with them and for them. That's important in here. 
Um, some of the parables, the parable of the sheep and the goats, is only found in the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll see who, who will you accept into heaven or cast into hell on a fair judgment day. It was those who loved people, who visited them in prison, and who made food, like you did that for the least of these. That's only in Matthew. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble, and you'll find rest for your souls. It's only in Matthew. Matthew records what Judas did after he was so convicted, how he went and hung himself. That's Matthew. Um, what are some of the other things that are unique to it? Uh, Matthew makes a specific point of relating back to the Old Testament, just as it was said in the prophets, just as the prophets said, just as the prophets said, just as... We need that because someone who is encountering Jesus and when we are, we need to be reminded that this is an eternal story. This is God's redemptive story and it's not something, Jesus isn't just one guy who lived at one time and said some smart stuff. That may be a Buddha, that may be you know, someone else, a Gandhi was a smarter, wiser, profound person in his day and age, but they were just people. Jesus is a prophesied Messiah. That's important for us to include in our conversations. Um, the Gospel according to Matthew is the only place where the word church is used in the New Testament. Ecclesia comes from Matthew. Peter, you're the rock that I'll build my church. In Matthew 18, um, if someone doesn't listen to a reconciliation moment, bring it to the church. It speaks specifically about us. It names us as church. That's good. That's, that's informative. That's something. Um, if we look at the Gospel of John, it's very much more of Jesus' uh, speeches, his long prayers, his words. So I feel like for mature Christians, that's neat. But I also feel like it's easier to get lost if you don't know any of the story. And so Matthew's very good at the history. He talks about the Caesars of that time, talks about John's, John the Baptist's beheading. It's all the context. It's what's going on in that world, explaining things at that time. Um, and my so favorite, cherished place in Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, it's only in Matthew. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are you when people persecute you. If we're going to introduce people to Jesus, I personally feel Matthew like is head and shoulders above the other Gospels because of this breadth. It's all the same and it's all good. There's just something special about it. And that's why I'm giving you these because I would love for this to be. You know, Sermon on the Mount is probably like, chapter page 2, page... 11, page 13. Someone who starts reading this by the 13th small page is already getting the teachings of Christ. They've just been introduced to who he was and how he got here and why it's amazing, and now here it is. Boom. You've heard it said, don't murder. I say don't hate anybody. You stop and talk about that for a year with someone who's struggling with anger, or who's come from abuse, or all sorts of, right? This is relevant stuff, and it's right off the bat. All the way through to the last page, the Great Commission. The very last words, there's no index, there's no epilogue. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That version of the Great Commission is only in Matthew. It starts right, it ends right. I feel like it's the perfect tool to introduce people to Christ. So I would like to ask you to be praying about who you could read this with. Like, so let's get together and read. I want to invite my next door neighbor. You want to read through the gospel. It could be on our back patio or it could be somewhere else. He's a neighbor, so we have this like over-the-fence kind of friendship. It'll probably be more local than public. But would he be interested? Who could you read it with? People have questions in your lives. People have doubts in your lives. Your children, your grandchildren, your grandchildren. Hey, let's get together and read together. This is the seed that was implanted in us that we were saved by. Not just Matthew, but this word of God. So spread this. Don't just invite people to church on a Sunday. Church can't save people. 
The word of God saves people. And you don't have to wait for Sunday for that. So both and. Here's the word of God and come and worship with a group of believers who are seeking the Lord. Um, you know, how do you open the door to start a conversation with someone? You can just ask someone, have you ever read the Bible? Most people, that's a no. Would you ever want to? I keep one on me. I read it at lunch. I have one here. I'd be happy to. It's meant to go with you. Or leave it on your desk. There you go. Not done. Do your job. What do you got there? Oh, Gospel Matthew. Yeah, it's awesome. You ever read it? There's simple entrances into a question. There's no pressure. God will lead you to the Ethiopians in your life that just happen to be asking the questions as you go alongside them. You don't have to, like, hunt for this. You have to be prepared in season and out of season. And so historically, the way Dad and myself and others here within New Hope have approached discipleship as a category has been sort of like a systematic explaining of everything the Bible says. That will always still be available in New Hope. But I don't think it's step one. I think actually being invited to a process or a program or a discipleship thing is something that could come as step two or three. I would like us to be just people of the word, which also simplifies it. So any of us that have this are now qualified to do discipleship at New Hope. If you can read and if you have a copy of the gospel. If you have your own Bible, bring it, whatever. But this is just to make it easy. I want to make this simple and encourage specifically Matthew to be our translator in this gospel. For this next season, for these next months, I want anyone who's coming to New Hope to be invited. That's all it is. It doesn't have to be pressure. There's no sales tactics. There's no pressure. Just would you want to read? That's how our church does this. For anybody who's interested, just read through the Gospel of Matthew. It will transform you. You will be saved as well as your hearers because the word we plan to hear. Every time we read the Bible, it speaks loudly. This will happen. This will help you grow in your faith. This will be a new growth time in your faith that you have not experienced before and that I have not experienced before. So whether you see someone who's struggling and you say, there's actually something in the Bible that could help with that, or you hear someone's question and you say, I think there's something we could read together, whether you just read it yourself on your lunch break, uh, whether you ask someone if they've read the Bible and invite them to read it together. I don't want to give these away as tracts because I feel like if someone just needs a Bible, we can just give someone a and there are plenty of access to Bible free apps. So it's not about that. This isn't just give to someone because you met them and, oh, that's fine. And then they just put it on a shelf and disappears. This is the Ethiopian. How am I supposed to understand it unless someone explains something to me? But all there is to explain is just to read it together and be like, this is amazing. There is no other story like this. And this is true. And then we go beyond that. If they want to dig into the history or the Greek or anything beyond that, that's where further discipleship goes. But we are people of the word. And we are meant to share the word. So this is a very much out of our comfort zone sort of challenge. I recognize that for you and for me. Too bad. I love you. Too bad. Because what's the alternative? We're not people of the word. We're not going to read this publicly. Everybody who is new that comes to the church is going to refer to Dave. So I can just sit down and read Matthew with them myself? Like, why do I have any unique access to just reading these pages? It's just the word of God. I want us all to be the evangelists fulfilled. We're going to get our hand. We're going to be laid hands on ourselves in a few weeks here and sent out. That's what. That's how Paul said it works. Your hands get laid on, and you are equipped for ministry. We're being sent out as missionaries. It's going to be a little bit different, and we don't exactly know what it'll look like, and that's okay. We're going to learn as we go. God will show us. But this is a piece of it, and I know it. Danny and I have been talking about this 
for months, I've been thinking about how we do discipleship as a church, how it can be more accessible, how it can be simpler, how it can be based on the Word of God and then build on that. This, to me, feels like God answering prayers in that direction. And do you know, um, aside from a King James Version, this is actually the only Gospel of Matthew available in the world? I went looking. People don't sell Gospels of Matthew pocket size. And I was like, well, what does that mean? So I called Heritage House. I was like, no, we, we can't find that. Like, this not, it's not, doesn't exist. Like, no, we got plenty of Gospel of John's. I don't understand. Do not compute. Does not compute. Like we have every Bible. We got Bibles with pink covers and leather covers and pocket Bibles and teen Bibles and study Bibles. There's no, there's no Gospel of Matthew in the world. There literally isn't, except for this one company. They're called Manuscripts who publish these, and they just do the Gospels. But they, back in 2018, um, put out a video, kind of like a Kickstarter. They had a vision to create the Gospels in pocket sizes and to make the font not be like .02 microscope level. They wanted to make it readable and easy and whatever, and so they appealed to the world, kind of like um, The Chosen did. Will you fund this thing we believe in? And then the response was overwhelming. What's for The Chosen? This was them back in like 2018, and so now they're an established company. So I wrote to them and said, I, I love what you have here. It's simple. It's well laid out. It's a great translation, uh, New American Standard, and uh, it's great. So can we have like 80 for our church? And they were like $7 a piece or something. I was like, okay, well, hey, this is what it costs to be able to have a tool that we can use. Otherwise, everybody's carrying around one of these. We're like, hang on a second, let me get this thing out of my pocket. You know, the family Bible, King James, with the, the <laughs> born with gathering dust on all of our, our shelves. Um, and so they said, well, we'd like to do better than that. We'd like to send you 100 and charge you only $3 each, and we'll priority ship them so you can have them by Sunday. Wow. It was like last week. I was like, Okay, <laughs> this is happening right now. Quick, send. Jane's like, no, don't spend more money. I'm like, no, we're buying this. We have to get this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She is great. Uh, Hal, too, sorry. The heart murmurs I've been giving these guys for a year now. Forgive me. It's not me. It's not me. Blame someone else. Something bigger is happening here. Uh, but I consider these Gospel of Matthews actually quite unique. And so it will be something that then we uniquely can offer to the people that we're ministering to. And I love that. I just, I love the process of how these came to us, the fruit of lots of prayer of what it could look like. And so therefore, I believe that this is God asking us to use this. And it'll be for a season. We'll see. You know, a few months down the road, maybe God leads us to something else. But for now, I would like to ask you to step into this stream, this path with me and use this. And as we get to Taunton, you know, the new people that come in, I hope that they will join us in this. So here, for the end of our time this morning, I would like to pray a prayer of commissioning over you and this copy of Matthew that you're holding. And that's how I'd like to head into a time of communion. Uh, so I'm going to ask you all to stand and have this Gospel of Matthew in your hand so I can pray over you and over it. I don't believe that this is a small thing. I believe that this is a big thing. And so I want to ask God to lead us in it and I want you to all be commissioned to this work. So let me pray for you, and then I'll go to the piano. We can sing, and um, Dougie, you can lead us as we take the elements. Let's pray. Father God, love you for who you are, being a revealing God, a speaking God. Thank you for your word, which is what's changed us. And I pray over each individual that's receiving this small, little convenient version of your eternal word. Um, 
May they be anointed by you and your Holy Spirit to become evangelists and speak your word into the world. May these books not just be one-to-one, may it be one-to-many. May we read this with many people. And may you lead us to the people like that eunuch in the chariot so that we would know we're in the right place to read the word of God together. Lead us to read this word together, Father. Over each person here, I pray for opportunities. Please provide them. I pray for people to come to salvation through the power of your word, not ours. I pray for baptisms like that eunuch right along the road to happen spontaneously and frequently, not because of our words, but because of your word. I pray for the spiritual growth this will force in each of us as it challenges us out of our comfort zones. I pray for that maturing process to be guided and protected by you. I pray for your kingdom to grow, and I pray for Taunton in the, the concentric circles radiating out from the center that your word would have impact in that place through us. I pray that these words and your word would impact our unsaved loved ones. I pray that you would give us and the people that we read with eyes to see and ears to hear so that your truth would not be missed or dismissed. I pray that you would give us courage and boldness and that we would just laugh at our insecurities and our reluctances and just put them at the foot of the cross and be carried by you into strength and courage. Pray for the miracles that are read about to be duplicated in our lives and in our time, that it would not just stay on the page, but that the reading of the word would be accompanied with the power of your spirit. And I pray for us to become deeper and deeper disciples and for us to go and invite others to become your disciples, that this discipleship of us to the words of God and the words of Christ would be simple and authentic and powerful. So I ask your blessing on each of us. Pray that you would uh, equip us and uh, help us to see those moments uh, that you lead us into from this day forward. We trust you with it all, Father. We anticipate and are excited to see what you might do through us in the lives of the people around us, all through your power, your word, and all for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.